Today on Multiverse News, we have an abundance of trailers. We have a Secret Invasion trailer, a Blue Beetle trailer, and a Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse trailer. Plus, we've got a bunch of new series announced that are in the works, a Harry Potter reboot, as well as a continuation of the 2011 Scott Pilgrim in anime. All that right after this. Welcome to Multiverse News, your source for all the information about your favorite fictional universes. My name's Matthew Carroll, and here with me today, we have Jay Scotty St. Clair. How you doing, Jay Scotty? I'm doing great. I'm excited to be back on Multiverse News, and for all these trailers we're going to discuss. Good Same. time to be here. Same, my friend. And we have Jay Sisson. How you doing, Jay? I'm doing great. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. And... Haley Hobbs. What's going on, Haley? Hey, hey, hey. Week two, Multiverse News. Yeah, we're back, baby. We're back. We got renewed for a second week. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Critics be damned. That's right. That's right. Critics be damned. Everyone said we couldn't do it. They were all wrong. (laughs) So so many naysayers that I heard from this week. It's just crazy. It's crazy, man. Uh, Okay. Thanks for joining us again, guys. We're going to dive right into the news. Uh, Up first, we have... The Secret Invasion has begun in earnest as Marvel Studios unveiled its first full trailer for the series during the Phillies Rangers basketball game. Not baseball game, (laughs) basketball, like that movie. Uh, Sunday night, uh, the trailer confirmed the release date of June 21st. And the accompanying Variety article confirmed Amelia Clark's role as Talos' daughter, Gaia. How do we feel about this detailed look at Phase 5's first series. I am so excited for this series, and this trailer just further confirmed that this is definitely my most anticipated announced Disney Plus Marvel show. I love that it feels grounded. Um, I love that it has that kind of uh, like Jack Ryan or like Bourne supremacy kind of feel to it. And to me, I know that kind of the... The pushback against it is, well, it's not like the comics, but man, I'm willing to hear them out. Like this trailer really got me intrigued. I love the cast. And um, how can you how can you not be excited to see, uh, you know, Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury in this kind of central role again? So I'm really looking forward to it. I'm, I, I can't wait. Yeah, likewise. I mean, it's mirroring that Winter Soldier feeling, which is obviously still the best MCU movie. There will be no comments. Thank you. And I love that we're getting back to that boots on the ground kind of feel with this show that we really have been missing for quite a while in the MCU. Yeah, I can only echo those sentiments. I think it looks really, really good. I was surprised by how much of Ben Mendelsohn we saw outside of his, you know, scroll version of himself, considering what happened in the events of Captain Marvel. And it's also really surprising to see Nick Fury just has completely gone away with the eye patch. He's just rocking that bare scarred eye. So it's an interesting look. One Mm -hmm. little thing to bring up. I am a little concerned. It's not necessarily about the trailer itself, but just thinking about how much this film has, or the series has to accomplish thinking that it's like leading into armor wars. And also, you know, is a spinoff of captain Marvel is six episodes going to be enough. If it's anything like the previous series and has like, you know, varying runtimes. I just have my fingers crossed that they're going to be on the longer side of things to really give due diligence to everything that the series is trying to do. Mm, Interesting. I definitely agree 
that uh, you know, I think six will be an I think six will be fine, and I hope they're long, long as well. But I am less concerned with how much it has to do to set up other things, and just more concerned with like them giving me some really good time with Fury as a character. I guess um, one of the things they talked about with his eye patch. Uh, that variety article is really interesting. If you get a chance to really dive into it, we talk about sure. it more over on Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast than we'll have time to do here. But like uh, he talks about how his eye showing is a sense of uh, is a sign of his vulnerability. That he's gained, he like went through this whole Thanos thing. The world was at its greatest risk, and he's just taken off the board without even being a part of the fight. You know, um, he sure. and, and it's just like, and he's lost some of the heroes that he brought into this whole global fight of the Avengers. So he's just feeling uh, much more vulnerable and less of just like a super spy badass than he used to be. And so I don't know. I found that really interesting. And so I'm I'm hoping. Uh, that we really get a deep dive because truth is we haven't had that much time with Fury. You know, he's been such a presence in all the movies. And Haley, you mentioned uh, Winter Soldier, and that's where we got the most of him that we've had. But like, right. I would, I just would love a series that really gave us some character time with him. And hit, like the fact that it's not going to be like the comics isn't as much a concern for me. I just want like him to have a really good battle to fight on his own. This is our first solo thing for uh, Nick Fury, and I'm, I'm really excited for it. Up next in the news, we have Sony Animation's Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse revealed its first official trailer, giving us a closer look into Miles' dilemma with both the multiversal villain The Spot, voiced by Jason Schwartzman, and Oscar Isaac's Miguel O'Hara, a.k.a. Spider-Man 2099. Does this look like it will follow the footsteps of the unexpected 2019 hit? I think it absolutely will follow in the full in the footsteps of that, you know, first film from 2019. I think it looks amazing, you know, not to be too on the nose with the amazing Spider-Man, but <laughs> just getting a look at the varying art styles that will represent the multiverse as well as confirming the speculation that Miguel O'Hara will be in a little bit more of an antagonist antagonistic role in terms of his relationship with miles. And then of course we got the Dr. Strange name drop. And I believe that was an allusion to the Tom Holland version of Spider-Man as well. And the events from no way home. So Mm. all in all, I thought this was a great trailer and it has me very, very excited for this when it comes uh, to us in theaters in June. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This is the best uh, trailer I've seen in a long time. I mean, it leans into what made the first movie special in that it is a comic book movie brought to life in that format. It leans into the music that made it popular, the characters that made it popular. It's got the, clearly it's going to have an emotional toll and an emotional story uh, mixed in with a very new take on uh, what made this story special in the first place. So uh, I think uh, I mean, I, I think that looking at the whole thing as a as a package, uh, you can't help but be excited. It looks funny. I mean, the jokes that they dropped in it were hilarious. Like uh, the end scene with everybody bursting through while they're having the therapy session. He's like, "Well, he died, I guess, or whatever." Like, it's so <laughs> funny. Like, uh, so um, I, I just I expect it to take it to the next level and step up. Uh, just another step up. And the first one was one of my favorite movies I've seen in a while. So that's a big ask, but I think it can accomplish it. You know, the character of Spider-Man is all about his heart, and Miles encapsulates that so well as a character both in the comics and in the movie, and that first one was a runaway hit. It's one of those things I watched randomly, and then I immediately watched it again and made my husband watch it with me, because I was like, this is the most incredible animated thing I've seen in a really long time. 
at the time it was. I think it was 2018. Um, so I'm really looking forward to this little darker version than even before and how he's going to tackle all of his foes with Gwen at his side. Mm. The only thing that upsets me about this movie is that it is not yet confirmed that it's going to connect to the multiverse in the MCU. I want it. I want this to be a part of the MCU so I can steal it from Jay Scotty and crew over at Animation Deliberation <laughs> and make it part of our show. No, I, 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 uh, love, I love the first one and I've been jazzed about this one ever since they put out the, uh, I mean, ever since I saw the first one really, but like the teaser trailer, you know, way back, way back when, like a year ago was amazing. And this one looks, uh, even better. So freaking excited for this. Yeah. Two quick follow-up thoughts. Haley, you're absolutely correct. The first film was in 2018. That's on me for saying 2019. And <laughs> Matt, in terms of your hopes of it being connected to the MCU, in addition to the Doctor Strange names drop, name drop, uh, I did recognize the visual continuity of hexagons. And I know how much Ooh. hexagons were a thing on the MCU cast. So, Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my my girlfriend made a project this week and she was like, I was thinking about making you these shelves and she brought them out and she was making these little popsicle shelves to put behind my uh, station here. She's like, I figured you could put some of your like pop figures in it or whatever. And she brought sure. them out. She knows nothing about the MCU. She brought them out and they were hexagons. They were little, <laughs> she was thinking of them like honeycombs. Like, Hey, there's these little honeycombs and you can connect them or do things with them. And I was like, those are perfect. Yes. <laughs> She was like, I don't understand why you're this excited. And I was like, oh, you will. One day when I get you this far, this deep into the MCU, you will. <laughs> anyway. Up next, we got Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves is at a 91% critic score and an even higher 94% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes and had a nearly $40 million box office weekend, capturing the top spot and wowing critics and audiences. What do you guys think is driving the success of this dark horse winner at the box office? Well, as the only one that has actually seen the film so far, yeah, I'll speak yeah, on this yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I went into it with, you know, leveled expectations. I thought the trailers were trying a little too hard. I felt like it was mimicking like the tone of Guardians of the Galaxy a little bit too much. But mm. for the second week in a row, I find myself saying that this is an example where the trailers kind of got all the lackluster jokes out of the way which made the resulting film really really funny so to see it resonating with critics and audience alike is very inspiring and i found myself gravitating to more towards the comedy and the action set pieces as opposed to maybe some of the characters and the stories it's the story itself but it's you know chris pine is absolutely charming and if this can get you know a sequel or some spinoffs, uh, I'm, I'm totally open to it. So it's nice to celebrate wins. I, I never want any movie to do poorly, and I felt like this is kind of, and like you said, an unexpected dark horse here. To, so to see it do so well is, uh, makes me really happy. Yeah, I've had, there's been people posting in Stranded Panda chat just about how wonderful this is, and you know, mm. saying it's got a similar tone to you know uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is something everyone in this network loves. And uh, yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's great to see, I don't know, they're taking the ideas of the Marvel Cinematic Universe that are not just about, like, connecting things, you know? Sure, I'm sure there'll be a sequel if it's this successful, but, like, mm -hmm. they're taking the ideas of, like, stakes and humor and having, like, 
action, but that is fun and not dreary. I don't know. It just it just looked like a fun ride. I haven't seen it yet, but it looks like a fun ride. So like that's how a lot of these Marvel movies feel, and just hopefully it has enough heart to sustain all this all this rewatchability and people liking it so much. Yeah, I think to be successful in our kind of post COVID box office, you do have to bill yourself as a movie that you want to experience in a theater. Mm -hmm. You have to have that component to it, especially with how quickly things go to streaming now. So we talked about Shazam last week and like, why is this movie not doing well? Well, this kind of contrasts with that, with this movie, we're asking, well, why is this movie doing well? And I think this movie has done a good job at marketing itself. And a lot of the uh, kind of conversations around it are talking about like what we're doing right now. We're talking about how much, you know, Jay Scotty, you're talking about how much you liked it and uh, want to see, you know, want other people to go see it. And yeah. uh, I think a lot of people saw that and see that and they go see it. I think a lot of people kind of see the discourse around Shazam and they say, you know what, I'm cool to wait a couple months until this comes to HBO Max uh, and I'll just catch it then. So uh, this uh, this is kind of an example and same with John Wick of whenever you can kind of sell your movie as, no, you want to see this in this format. You don't want to see this on, on HBO Max too much two months later or something like that. Sure. Mm. Absolutely. I wonder if there's almost even a curiosity with it. We're used to video games being turned into feature films, but not necessarily board games or a role-playing game like this. And so not only does it have that following behind it, but there might be some people just purely going to be like, Dungeons and Dragons the movie? I've got to see this. Yeah. Mm. It was already a previous one back in the 90s. They did the, and it was a pretty high-budget Dungeons and Dragons movie then, but like it just, people hated it. <laughs> just, uh-huh. Like it was, it was kind of, I think, uh, targeted at an audi- a younger audience or something. And it didn't seem to like resonate with the kind of people who are lovers of Dungeons and Dragons, you know? Mm-hmm. This next one is interesting. Though talks are still in a preliminary state, HBO is planning to reboot the Harry Potter franchise into a TV show, which will last at least seven seasons, one for each novel with the potential for universe expansion with Fantastic Beasts. Potterheads everywhere will rejoice. Right, guys? Uh, not so fast. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I just think it's a little soon. I mean, I don't want to be that guy, um, right. but I feel like those movies are... how. When did the last one come out? Doesn't like, feel like that long ago. It was not that long ago. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think it's just, we're looking at at Fantastic Beasts is spun out of that universe. There there was just a Fantastic Beasts movie like a year or two ago. Mm -hmm. Um, To me, I'm kind of looking at it and and thinking, why the rush uh, to get this out there? I mean, um, but I I guess I get it from a financial standpoint. You want to reboot these IPs into shows that totally make sense. You want it to stretch for a long period of time over multiple years and multiple seasons. But to me, I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm kind of looking at it with, uh, with questions of why. I think similar to the Lord of the Rings talk last week that we had, we're reaching a new audience. So not only do we have the ability of streaming and these massive television budgets that we didn't have before, so we can spend time in these worlds longer, We've got a whole new generation of people learning to love these characters just like we all did when we were younger. And so I think that might be a driving factor in almost anything else. Plus the new Harry Potter video game that just came out has been like through the roof. So I think they're going to ride those waves without a doubt. Yeah, this really doesn't do a lot to move the needle for me. I do think it ekes kind of like of a similar situation with the Fantastic Beast franchise like if i recall for correctly they had like five films announced initially so again it feels like putting the 
cart before the horse. And mm-hmm. I like Harry Potter. I like the books. I liked all the movies. But to me, there were like rumors about adapting the the cursed child, the play, adapting that for film. I, that you know that interests me more than rebooting the franchise, even if it works better as a as a series. Have you read yeah. it? <laughs> I have not read it. It's weird. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it just reeks of desperation. It's like, mm. well, what do we got? Mm. Well, what's in the what's in the toy chest? We got to get something out. Uh, Harry Potter. Let's get that out. I mean, people like Harry Potter, right? Well, Aww. these these networks are too <laughs> focused on like taking IP and redoing it instead of. I mean, think about the shows that have brought networks a lot of success. I mean, you think about like Breaking Bad for AMC, like turned AMC into a real player in like drama. And it took them two or three seasons before it found its audience, you know, and they picked up this like brand new IP and just like, it was, it was, it's all about execution. It's mm. not about just having a great IP. It's like, we just, it's like I was talking about with the uh, honor among thieves a few minutes ago. It's like, it's not just that it's an IP. It's gotta be like, you gotta do the things that make a movie successful. You gotta be fun. You gotta be interesting. You gotta have reasons. People are speculating. You gotta get people's attention. And, um, mm. Breaking Bad did that for AMC, and then you've got HBO, Game of Thrones did that for them, but made them very relevant for whatever, seven or eight years. Now they want their next Game of Thrones, and they're trying with Game of Thrones, uh, which we have news about as well in a minute. Um, But, you know, they want to just pick a a book series and do it, and I think that that's, uh, I don't know. They got to stick with it a few years. I'm kind of saying the opposite, I guess, of like, you got to call your shot and go a few years but like, like they did Watchmen a few years ago, and but like, uh-huh. and it was amazing. And I feel like if you'd given that a couple seasons, it might have gotten to a place where like it's the appointment television. And I don't think that ended because of a lack of success. It ended because of uh, the writing team didn't want to continue or something. But like, yeah, Damon Lindelof said if there's if he doesn't have a story to tell, he's not going to just keep milking it right for the sake of milking it. And he know? said they might bring it back one day too. So sure. we'll see. Yeah. But it it just. I think you got to give this, some of these series, if you really want them to live on, you got to give them a few years. I think Game of Thrones is the same way. It took it a few years before everyone in the world was watching it, you know? Sure. Um, the problem is, not every show is going to do that. So they don't want to risk that money every time. So mm. moving on to our next story, we have a Scott Pilgrim anime for Netflix that reunites the entire original cast from Edgar Wright's 2011 film adaptation is in development. Edgar Wright is executive producing while Scott Pilgrim's creator, Brian Lee O'Malley, is co-writing and co-showrunning the series with Ben David Grabinski. Even with the original cast and creators involved, can the animated series hold a candle to the celebrated cult classic? I think it's a tall order, but I do feel like anime, specifically in terms of animated format, is is perfectly fitting. Scott Pilgrim started as a graphic novel, so the fact that you've got Brian Lee O'Malley, the creator involved, as well as Edgar Wright involved, plus the returning cast, like, I think everything about this series just really bodes well and has me quite excited. All that being said, it's, it is a very high bar for them to reach, and the potential to drop the ball is certainly there, but I'm going in very, very optimistic. I think you're right. I think like they've got all of the pieces that are necessary for this to succeed. All of these original cast members and creators 
is what it takes, I think, to like revitalize something and bring it back. And just seeing that continued, and I think the original manga went longer, didn't it? Or was it? Did it end when the movie ended? I think it was still ongoing when the movie came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I feel like there's probably a lot to draw from in the canon or whatever. And there's probably, mm-hmm. and it was a successful manga for a reason. And so, like, yeah, I think it's got everything it needs to be really successful. Up next, we have DC wowed us with our first look at the upcoming Blue Beetle flick with a trailer full of laughs and horror homages, uh, plus some insight into Jamie Reyes' family dynamic. Will this be a win for DC or another Fury of the Gods flop? I am so excited about Blue Beetle. Mm. Uh, It's Jaime Reyes. And he is such an interesting character in the comics. He's in Young Justice. It's a super cool character. I've already seen some grumblings about, oh, it's like Iron Man. I can assure you, it is very much not. You'll just have to wait (laughs) and see. But I think this is a really cool step for DC to move out of the spotlight characters that they have of Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Superman, Batman, and go to somebody a little farther back on their bench who is really loved, but really pretty unknown to the mass public. And so... For that reason, I think this movie has a really good shot of performing well because I think it's that curiosity factor again. And I think because it looks fairly standalone so far, it has it has that momentum going in. Mm. It's in August, too, which is a good place for it to be. It's not going to have to compete with any Marvel films or anything like that. Um, I think that ultimately it's going to have to do kind of going back to what we talked about earlier, it's going to have to connect itself to the idea that this is something you want to experience in theaters, uh, that it's not going, it's, it's got to stay as far away from the Snyder verse of it all as possible. And it's got to bill itself as this could be a thing going forward if we support it. And if it can do that, then I think it's going to be successful. It's going to have a good box office. Yeah. I, I think it stands a much better chance than fury of the gods because it's already getting like the ringing endorsement from James Gunn while he may not be directly involved in its development he is certainly you know kind of vouched for it and Haley you tell him put some respect on that name Jaime Reyes it's a unique position for the character because he is very much maybe like a b-list or c-list character in terms of like popularity or notoriety but he has such a steeped lore within the DC universe so I think it's a, a great opportunity to expand and look into the more cosmic side of the DC lore and then also like the lead uh Jolo Mato, Matoeno, I recognize him from Cobra Kai, and he's just got, he's really got this leading man presence. He's kind of affable and very approachable, but also very competent. So he's got the comedic chops. He's got the action chops. I'm just really looking forward to this one. Shazam had some hurdles to jump that this is not going to have to jump. Mm. You know, Shazam was very much connected to the old DC. It's a sequel to a movie set in the old DC. And this movie feels very intentional as like, this is a new thing. You know, this is a new character. This is its own thing. Come see it because of that. And I think that's going to play well. I think so too. And fine guys, it's Jaime Reyes. It's fine. I'm sorry. I don't know this character well. I've never I've only ever seen his name written. I've never seen it his spoken. Um okay. Well, that is the news, the main news. We're going to do a quick thing, or at least we're going to try to make it quick. Uh it's a new thing here on the show, Multiverse News. Uh for those of you who have listened last week, the throngs 
of adoring fans for Multiverse <laughs> News that have been waiting for this episode to drop, we have a new segment for you. Uh, maybe we'll name it. Let us know what we should name it. But it's basically we're going to do a lightning round, and uh, it's a bunch of smaller stories that we uh, – some some are smaller, some are big, but we just didn't, didn't have time with all the news we had. So uh, we're going to do a, a buzz-in type of thing, and one person's going to give their take. And you have one – uh, buzz reaction if you want to like continue the conversation on something but uh, otherwise we're going to get one person's reaction to each of these okay so the way you buzz in is just say your name as quick as you can first name I hear I'm going to call on you to say your thing so be ready with your name Jay has a distinct advantage here <laughs> one, okay. one syllable one syllable let's baby. go with let's go with Scotty for, for, for Scott for Jay Scotty <laughs> All right, up first into the lightning round, we have a Game of Thrones prequel set 300 years before Game of Thrones following the Targaryen conquest of Westeros is in development at HBO. Matthew, I guess. I, nobody, nobody, nobody? Oh, man, I'm excited. Uh, the freaking House of the Dragon was awesome. It was so much of what I wanted from that show. It really established itself. It established the characters within one or two episodes. I cared. And they've been talking about the Targaryen conquest a lot. And I want this show. I've been, we, me and my friends have been talking about wanting to see this particular time period of, uh, the game of Thrones universe. So I'm all in up next. We have following in the footsteps of 2019's Joker. Mike Flanagan has pitched a Clayface feature for WB. Scotty. Ooh, go Scotty. Yeah, I uh, am of two minds on this one. Mike Flanagan, I love his work. I really, really enjoyed Dr. Sleep. I thought that was an excellent follow-up to my favorite horror film of all time, The Shining. But I really hope it does lean, if it's even going to happen, because Clayface has been rumored for Matt Reeves' uh, sequel to The Batman, so it might be off the table entirely. But if he does get the opportunity to work on a Clayface film, I hope it leans more into the Joker realm where it is a tragic mm, kind of sure. monster piece as opposed to something like Sony with Morbius or even like the upcoming Craven. Like don't take these villains and turn them into heroes. I don't need that. Yeah. <laughs> Ailey. Uh, yeah. Clayface has its own feature film. Ugh, I don't know. If you're going to go Batman's rogues gallery, maybe go for one of the more well-known ones like two face or Mr. Freeze that haven't been treated super well in live action. And give them a shot instead. Matthew. <laughs> this uh I I this one's getting a lot a lot of a lot of love. Um I think that this one has a really good chance. I love that this is Clayface because it, I don't know, I love the animated series version of Clayface. Like this sad actor who never was able to play the roles he wanted to. I love the tragic story of Clayface from the animated series, which is the version I know. Um and so seeing it that there's so many great smaller Batman villains who were taken in the animated series and blown up to great effect. And I want to see, I'd love to see that focused on. And I've seen those other stories a bunch of times. I've never seen Clayface done in live action. I think that sounds awesome and gross. I know we're killing the lightning round of it all by me talking too, but I will say very, very quickly that I'm all for, uh, let's bring Poison Ivy into this whole thing. Give me an environmental terrorist in the year 2023. Doesn't that make a lot of uh, sense in the world that we live in? I mean, come on. Absolutely. Let's move on from Uma Thurman. Let's, let's, uh, let's get this thing updated. <laughs> so fair. All right. Well, everyone has now used their reaction except for Jay Scott. <laughs> Next up, we got Star Trek. 
Starfleet Academy is in development for Paramount Plus. Matthew, <laughs> this is the one I really wanted to talk about because I'm a huge Star Trek fan and I really l- like what they've been doing. Um, for those of you who don't know, this is sounds like based on the description, it's going to be set in the 32nd century, which is like five uh, five hundred years, seven or eight hundred years past like the Captain Picard stuff that is going on right now. So in the most recent show, Discovery, they jumped into the future, and that show is ending uh, this year. It's the final season. And so it sounded like we were just going to end that story completely and not find out anything else about that time period. But this show looks like it's picking up where Discovery left off. And so I think it's it sounds really exciting. Up next, we have uh, Lee Sung Jin, writer of Netflix's Beef, plus episodes of Silicon Valley, and Dave has been hired to rewrite Marvel's Thunderbolts. I'll talk about it. Uh, it's the this is uh, showing it's going to be a way different tone than I was expecting. I guess right, like it's it's going to be very comedic. It seems I don't know. That sounds interesting to me. Uh, it sounds like a really cool way to take Thunderbolts because the antihero dreary thing is not what I ever love. I like I like all these shows to be all these movies to be fun. You know. Yeah, kind of to your point there. It's like the Thunderbolts are very much supposed to be kind of like. Marvel's version of the Suicide Squad, so I was expecting a more kind of dour tone. But the fact that this rewrite is coming off the heels, I don't have the gentleman's name, but it was actually from the writer that took the first pass at both Black Widow and Thor Ragnarok. So that that kind of seems mm-hmm. like the perfect melding in terms of like having kind of like, you know, the more grounded, uh, serious approach, but then really embracing the humor, especially with a pedigree that includes like Dave, Silicon Valley. Um, it'll be a really interesting tone, but my hopes are that it will be a little more serious than some of the recent mm-hmm. Marvel entries and then just have those moments of levity that really that really work. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it has a good chance at that with Silicon Valley and Dave and Beef. Just I've only seen the trailer, but uh, they all have that serious tone mixed with the comedy. Like it's always have serious right. stakes mixed with just humor. And I, I love that. Uh, up next, we have. Ed Harris is in talks to join the Wonder Man series opposite Yahya Abdul-Mateen of Watchmen, uh, already cast as Wonder Man, along with other heavy hitters like Werner Herzog, Ben Kingsley in his role as Trevor Slattery, and rumored Courtney Cox and Bob Odenkirk. Jay. This is a fascinating cast. Like, <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> this is like you threw just a handful of darts at a random dartboard of just full of actors' names, and you're like Bob Odenkirk, right? Courtney Cox, like Ed Harris. Sure, let's throw them all together. So I'm intrigued. Same. Do you think Ed Harris is just going to be reprising his role from the Truman Show, where he's like this director that has to have full control over <laughs> everyone's lives? <laughs> All right, up next we have the E3 Gaming Expo has been canceled as a result of most gaming companies holding their own reveal events. Jay, I am sad about this for the nostalgia factor only. Uh, This is something that back in the day, if you followed any gaming news, it exclusively came out of E3. Uh, Mm -hmm. People built their whole schedules around it to watch the events. It was a huge deal. So COVID, of course, played a role in that, but also it had been going this way for a while. It's not quite the event type thing that Comic-Con is. It doesn't bring in the people that 
people want to meet. It doesn't bring in the the cosplay stuff. It doesn't bring in the uh, merch and things like that. So uh, this isn't surprising, but it is just kind of disappointing as studios kind of take the wheel and decide to just hold their own events. This was kind of inevitable. And um, I, while I don't think we'll see other events like Comic-Con, for example, go the same route, I think they will face similar challenges in the future. Well, I've uh, sorry to respond, but I've heard that already a few years ago. I heard stories about this where like D23, for instance, being put on Disney, putting on its own thing, really yeah. disrupted some of the Comic-Con events and things because like, you know, Marvel didn't show up one year at Comic-Con and it's like, what are they even doing? You know, if the, you know, biggest franchise out there is not showing up. So it's, it's sort of the yeah. same thing. It's, it's sad for me because the smaller creators get a chance to kind of rise the, to the, to the cream of the crop at those events. You know, you go to those events, you just see a lot of random stuff that might be at the booths and you might get exposed to something that's not the biggest thing. And so if all the biggest things take their balls and go to their own corners, those littler creators don't get to rise at those events that way, you know? Yeah. Uh, okay. James Gunn did an interview where he gave us some juicy nuggets. I'm going to take these juicy nuggets one at a time and feel free to yell at your name and respond to them. Uh, first, he says, Superman Legacy will have a very different tone from Guardians of the Galaxy. Haley, I would yeah. hope so. It's <laughs> Superman. <laughs> yeah. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I like it. Up next, James Gunn also says that writing Marvel movies post-Endgame was challenging because it was such an universe-ending event. Haley. Yeah. Uh, I think this is where James Gunn's, like, control part of him really shines because I think he really likes to have control of his projects and having things maybe thrown into the story that he wasn't expecting. Uh, I don't think he likes things like that. And so, also, is he leaning into the Phase 4 hate a little bit? Ugh, I don't like that look, but... At the same time, he's leaving. I get it. He's done. So Yeah. And, and what you're saying connects directly to the next thing, which is Gunn also did not know that the Guardians would take off with Thor at the end of Endgame, and he seems salty about it. So uh, I'll say Matthew on this one because, sorry, I didn't really give you guys a chance. Uh, <laughs> I just, I think this entire thing about him having a hard time writing these movies after Endgame, I don't get it. Yeah, a couple characters died, but your characters, like, what th What happened to them? I mean, yes, like, uh, never mind, uh, Gamora, but like... Yeah, but he got her back. <laughs> kinda. They, they did change up the characters a lot. Gamora situation, for sure. Um, but still, I just think, like, you're not embracing the fun that could happen with, like, you have these challenges, but now you get to be creative and write around them. And that's the whole point of this mixed universe. And it's always been the way these movies are made. It's just you've had the luxury that your first two movies were so disconnected from the rest of the story that you got to do what you wanted. And now they got to play with your toys and now you want to literally take your toys and go over to DC with them. And so that's kind of kind of a bummer that it sounds like that might be his big problem with uh, Marvel at the moment. Uh, lastly, uh, Gunn also expressed that superhero fatigue is real, but not because of the characters, uh, but because of the stories being told. Too much focus on the spectacle and not on the characters. Scotty. Scotty. Yeah. This was far and away the most interesting tidbit out of this entire interview for me because there's been this like ongoing conversation like is superhero fatigue a thing and for him to have the honesty to acknowledge that it is again maybe he's you know 
a little salty, a little brazen about his new situation at D.C., but it does give me hope about everything he said about his approach to D.C. Scripts are going to be done before we start production on these on these movies. We're going to make sure we actually have a solid story that serves character before we just start, you know, flushing money down the toilet looking at mm-hmm. you, Taika Waititi. But yeah, that's neither here nor, <laughs> neither here nor there. Oh, I think it's very here. It's very here. <laughs> He is not wrong. I mean, the 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 way that he categorized it as a lot of these films have become spectacles for the spectacle of it all, that has come to a point where that does not necessarily get people to go to the movie mm-hmm. theater. Uh, so at this point, he's saying if you can't sell them a story through a character, they will not go see your film, superhero or not. Absolutely, my friends. Uh, well... Let's go around the the horn here and everybody tell me about your individual podcast or your other podcasts. Uh, uh, Jay Scotty, uh, tell us about your your podcast. Yeah, I'm one of the hosts of Animation Deliberation. We are the podcast that takes action, animation, and cartoons seriously, but not too seriously. So we will be doing a deep dive on this across the Spider-Verse trailer that we mentioned here, as well as we're seeing the release of the Super Mario Brothers movie this weekend. You know we're going to talk about that. So mm-hmm. tune in. That's T-O-O-N, wherever you get your podcast, <laughs> Animation Deliberation. What about you, Jay? I'm a co-host of Commute the Podcast, which is a weekly uh, educational show. It's about 20 minutes long, and uh, we aim to make you smarter uh, on the way to get to where you're going. So come join us and learn something new. Sweet. And Haley. And I am a co-host of Source Pages, where we read comics and novels as primers for all the geeky TV shows and movies we love. So we will be covering comics for pretty much everything we talked about today, including Scott Pilgrim. Ooh. Um, And I am just, I'm Matthew Carroll. Uh, and you can find all my stuff and geeky projects over at strandedpanda.com. Uh, and thank you for joining us here at... Uh, on Multiverse News, second week. Last week was kind of a pilot. We're still figuring things out. I feel like we got a few of the kinks shooken out this week, uh, and we're going to keep moving forward. Uh, thanks, guys, for joining us again, and we'll be back soon. Peace. You stay classy, Multiverse. <laughs>